Good morning. Well, uh, at this time, if you have kids, uh, you can go ahead and uh, go find Mr. Jeff over here at the door, and they've uh, got some great stuff planned for you this morning to uh, go ahead and learn a little bit and have some fun over there, so you can start heading that way if, if you got some little ones. My name is Carson Rock, and I am filling in for Pastor Treb this morning. I was really excited when he asked me to come and speak and to uh, fill in for him this week. And I figured we'd still be going through Acts because we've been going through Acts for a really long time. And so I started reading up on kind of the, the whole book again because it's been probably like a year and a half since we've been going through this. And I wanted to be able to give some good background about where we've been and what we've been talking about and uh, some of the different stuff. And uh, then... He went ahead and said, you know what, let's take a break from Max. You can preach on whatever you want to, which for me sometimes is a little harder. I like it to kind of be assigned so I can just do my homework and, and do a good job and set it. But I uh, really felt like uh, some of that time I started thinking about what uh, this study of Acts is meant for me. And it, it, they call it the call of the Christ follower, which I love that title uh, because it's talking about how the book can really apply to the way that we live our lives. And as I was kind of thinking about that, we've seen some really awesome stuff happen in the book. We've seen the Holy Spirit come and at Pentecost and just change believers' lives forever. We've seen uh, persecution come on the church as it started to grow. We've seen a lot of difficult things happen, but we've seen God bless the faithfulness of the first believers, and he's raised up minis- uh, missionaries like Paul, and they are going around the, the known world and, and sharing the truth of the gospel. And as we're kind of coming to the end of this book, I started thinking about some of those things, and the title uh, of the whole series is really kind of what stuck out to me, The Call of the Christ Follower, and how that really uh, applies to us, because we've been hearing a lot about uh, this amazing early church, and how they were faithful with their lives to, to live out what God was calling them to, and how their lives had really been changed by the truth of the gospel. And so, I, and I started to think about, it's really easy for me to come and to hear Treb preach a great sermon and uh, to be challenged and convicted. But then when I walk right out the back door, I start to think about, you know, what, where we're going to lunch or the, how busy I am this week and the things that we have to do. And it's really easy for me to, to hear these things, but not let them actually affect my life. And so I don't know if you may or may not find yourself in that place sometimes, but I wanted to look at some scripture that directly addresses that issue today in James chapter 1. And so uh, you can kind of go ahead and start turning there if you want to. But uh, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about, is how do we as Christians appropriately respond to God's call on our life? After we've been spending the last year and a half as a church, uh, how do we as a church appropriately respond to God's call on our life? So Let's pray and ask the Lord to just come and speak through his word this morning. Father, thank you for this opportunity to get together as believers. Lord, thank you that we can encourage one another, worship with one another, uh, hear from your word. We pray that you would just speak to us this morning, Lord, that you would use the truths from Scripture to come and to penetrate our hearts and to affect us, Lord, that we wouldn't just hear what you're saying, Lord, but that we would actually act upon what you're calling us to do. Thank you for this opportunity to come and to get together this morning, Lord. We pray that you would just do a work in our hearts through your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Okay, so James chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 19. So as as you're flipping there, let me just give you a little bit of backstory on the book of James. James is written by James, and he's the half-brother of Jesus. And James uh, didn't really believe Jesus when he, because they were brothers, and he's like, I know you, I grew up with you, I don't really think you're the son of God. Uh, but after Jesus conquered sin and death and, and resurrected from the grave, James realized 
this is life-changing stuff. And he ended up becoming one of the main leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And we see him referenced many times in Acts, actually, as he's um, helping make decisions and lead things and helping, um, you know, make decisions on things that are going on with Gentiles and Jews. And he ends up being a really important guy. And he wrote this book, actually, right around the same time as a lot of the stuff is, is we're going through in Acts. Um, he titles, his title is letter at the very beginning in verse 1, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And if you'll remember, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen was stoned, and then immediately in Acts chapter 8, that Christians are spread out all around. Everyone kind of flees because this rampant persecution breaks out. And so we see people just really kind of going everywhere. And so James is writing this letter to those people. And uh, scholars believe that this letter was written in A.D. 49, which would fall somewhere between Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 15. So all the stuff that James is saying is really relevant to what we've been talking about as a church for a long time. And um, he's addressing some issues that have come up in the church, some of which we've seen addressed in Acts and some of them that we haven't on how Christians should be living out their faith and how like the decision to follow Christ should affect believers everywhere. And the really cool thing about James and, and all of Scripture is that this book that was probably the first book written in the New Testament still has so much stuff that's relevant to your and I's life today. And these are issues that Christians are still dealing with uh, as we try to live the, our, our daily walk out with the Lord. Um, so we're going to see some cool stuff happen from James. And let's take a look uh, at verse number 19 now, and we'll jump in and look at what he has to say. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So the first thing that I really want us to look at today uh, shows up here in verse 21, and James is telling us to humbly accept the word planted in you. So that, that's the first thing that I want us to remember, to humbly accept God's word. And a lot of times, I know for me, that that can be kind of hard to do. I start to read scripture. I read a verse even like verse number 19 where James is telling us to be quick to listen, to be slow to speak, and to be slow to become angry. And I immediately start to think about those times that I got angry but it was really okay for me to get angry. Like, I was justified in my anger. Or, or, you know, I start to look at God's word, and a lot of times I'll say, how can I take what this is saying, and how can I fit it into how I want my life to look? How can I fit it into kind of my take on what God's word actually has to say about how I should live? And what James is telling us to do is he's telling us to humbly accept God's word. That means that we kind of leave our opinions, we leave the justification that we might be looking for, and we set it aside, and we accept what God is actually trying to tell us through his word. 
And that can be really difficult because the, the world that we live in directly contradicts God's word. And the world tells us a lot about how we should live. The world tells us a lot about how we should prioritize our lives. And it tells us that we should, you know, look for our source of meeting in ourselves. You be a good person, I'll be a good person, and it'll all be okay. But the problem with that is that everyone's definition of good is really different. And, and the other issue with that is that, you know, the world is not going to tell us to do a lot of the things that the Bible tells us to do and that God's word explicitly calls us to. And so we, we start to think that we prioritize our own selves over God's word, and that's where I begin personally to at least get in trouble when I think that my logic makes more sense than what God has actually outlined in Scripture. And uh, it hasn't been a problem just with people today either, though. The prophet Jeremiah was speaking to the Israelites in Jeremiah chapter 31, and he's given a prophecy from the Lord. These are sinful people who have struggled to maintain God's law, and they continue to fail God. And so he says this in verse 31. He says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I, I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So God knew we had a problem with accepting what he wanted, and he said that when this new covenant comes, which we know is through Christ, that he will write his words on our hearts and put his law in our mind. And we, and we can look forward to that now, and, and we have God's written word, and just because we live in a place where his word is so accessible and we can get to it so freely doesn't mean that we should take it for granted because it's really easy for me to, uh, you know, just think, well, I can get the Bible off the shelf whenever I want to and look at it uh, instead of actually uh, taking it to heart and humbly receiving it. And I think that was a problem for the Israelites and, and still a problem for us today. But uh, the key to a humble reception of God's word, uh, we really see is in verse 21, where he says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And uh, James talks a lot about the relationship between the things that we do and our faith, but he's, he's clear, I think, in this verse, and the Bible's clear in other places, that we can't save ourselves. And so a clear understanding of the gospel is what's going to help us appropriately apply God's word to our lives. And when we understand the fact that we can't do anything to save ourselves, that we can't work hard enough, that we can't earn God's favor in any way, that's when we begin to understand that we can approach God's word humbly. Because just because Carson thinks it's right doesn't mean it's right. I still can't save myself. Uh, and I need to submit to the authority of the Savior and the authority of God. And so when we look at his word and look at it in, in light of our understanding of the gospel, that God really has saved us fully, that's when we begin to understand that I can humbly approach God's word. And the, the second thing that we want to see uh, is that we need to remember God's word. Let's skip down to verse number 23. It says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, what it says, is a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. 
I think it's easy for us to, you know, see these two people, and we see the first man who looks at himself, looks in the mirror, and then immediately forgets what he looks like. And we see the second guy who looks intently and really takes to heart uh, what God's word is saying, what, what God's perfect law that gives freedom is saying, and what the truth of the gospel is like. And when I think about looking at something intently, the best kind of description that I can come up with is pictures from a vacation. And you, you save your money, and you plan, and you plan, and you're like, we're going to go on this trip. It's going to be great. And then you take some pictures to capture that moment because you want to remember it forever. Like, this was a great time with family or friends, and it was really special, and I want to remember it. And so we get those pictures out, and we look at them, and we want to have uh, a, a real remembrance of what that trip was like. Like, you know, the beach was so good, or the air was so fresh, or wh- whatever that looks like. And we can kind of get that when we intently look at a picture from a great memory or something that happened in our lives. And I think that that's what James is calling us to do here. He's saying the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. And that's really different, I think, for me than just being okay with uh, a little bit of God's word, with spending a little bit of time with God and then being like, okay, I kind of got... My, my peace of God in on Sunday morning, or I got my peace of God in throughout the week, and now I'm going to kind of go back to living my life. Uh, the person who looks at God's word intently is someone who lets God's word become a part of who they are, and it's no longer just a subset of their life. It kind of takes over everything about them. It's, you're not able to forget what you look like when you actually intently look at God's word and see how he prescribes for us to live. And uh, it it talks a lot about that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. God's talking to his people, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, what God is telling his people here to do is he's saying, always be thinking about, always be talking about, always be remembering my word. It's like, and, and that kind of covers everything. And a lot of times I think that it's easy for us to say, well, I got my time in with God over here, and then now I'm going to go back to kind of doing the other things that I have to do today. And what he's telling his people here in Deuteronomy, I think, is still perfectly relevant for us today. He's saying, whether you're getting up or going to bed, whether you're walking around or driving around or sitting down, like, be talking about these things, be impressing them upon your children, be remembering my word with whatever you're doing. And, and that is what James is echoing here in this example of someone who looks at himself in a mirror and then turns around and immediately forgets what he even looks like. It's like that sounds really hard to do. Like, how do you forget what you actually look like? But uh, if, if you haven't spent any time intently looking at your own reflection, then you might not be able to pick yourself out of a crowd. And that's what uh, James says we ought to be able to do here with, a, with God's word, is we should look at it so intently that we would never miss it. When, when an opportunity comes up for it to apply to our lives. And as Deuteronomy says, it's going to apply to our lives in pretty much every scenario. We just have to value it in a way to where we really spend time with it. Psalm 1910 says that 
God's word is more precious than gold and that it's sweeter than honey. And, you know, pure gold or sweet honey kind of are symbolic of the best things that the world has to offer, right? It's like the purest gold, the, the sweetest honey, but uh, we should value God's word, the psalmist says, more than anything that the world has to offer. And I think that that doesn't really reflect itself super well in the way that I might choose to spend my time. Like, I'll find my little subset of time for God over here, and then I'm going to go and do the things that I think the world says I'm important, whether that's honey or gold, or you name your thing that the world is telling you is important. Uh, but we find our little subset for God's word to take place in our life, but we don't let it permeate the rest of who we are, and we don't hold that time with God, either individually or corporately, more valuable than we do some of the other things that the world says we should think are important. And so I think that that's uh, really crucial for us as we're understanding how God is calling us to live as believers. We first approach his word humbly, and then secondly, we remember his word and what he's saying because, because he's called us to remember. He's asked us to hide his word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. He, uh, and just because we live in this day and age where you can kind of Google any type of Bible verse, like you don't need a concordance anymore, you can just search it and find it and be like, yeah, that's what that verse says. There's still a big difference between uh, accessibility to that information and actually knowing it and letting it be a part of who you are. Because uh, when we're thinking about things and processing how we're going to make decisions, if God's word is a part of who we are and we have remembered it and we've taken it to heart, whether you're great at memorization or, or really not very good at it. And I know some people have different strengths there, but it will affect the way that we make decisions, even if we didn't have time to look that verse up and where it was or to uh, you know, go find this great resource on those things. Like hiding it in your heart and having it be a part of who you are when you sit down, when you get up, when you walk along the road, like that is what God is calling us to do. And that's what James is exhorting these believers to do as well. He's saying, be someone who actually knows the word. And that's what leads us really to the, the third point that he gets to. After we humbly receive the word and after we remember the word, James calls us to obey the word. We look in verse 22, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And I think when we look at this truth, it's, it's easy for me to think about times when I have just listened to the word, but not actually done anything about it. And the sad reality of that is that if God's word doesn't evoke action in me, if God's word doesn't evoke action in us, then we haven't really actually believed it. And I think that that's kind of tough for me to accept sometimes, but I think it's true. It's like the weatherman is sitting here and he's saying, there's a tornado coming right at your house, and I'm listening to him, but if I, if I actually believe him, then I'll get in my storm shelter or for us, the bathtub, but we, uh, you know, we have, we have that opportunity because we have this forewarning, but I'm only going to take action on that if I believe what the weatherman is saying, and I think that a lot of times in our lives, we read what God tells us, or we hear someone preach what God tells us to do, but we don't actually believe it enough to do something about it, and that's really difficult for me because I know it happens in my own life to where God tells me to do something. He explicitly says in his word, but I won't go get in my storm shelter. I won't actually do what he's telling me to do. And uh, I heard it said that the proof of the reality of our faith is a changed life. And I think that that's really true. The proof of the reality of our faith is a changed life. When we 
have actually had our lives changed by the truth of the gospel, they will look differently. It's not possible for us to continue going along the path that we were going on before Christ radically changes our lives. And if our lives don't look different than they did from when we uh, made a commitment to follow him, then maybe that commitment wasn't what we thought it was. And that's, that's the, the sad but scary reality uh, of what it is because, uh, you know, James is saying, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. And, and he's going to talk a lot more about the relationship between faith and works in chapter 2. And we're not going to go there today. Um, but James essentially says in a really famous passage that faith without works is dead. And in verse 21, he, tell, he tells us the word is planted in us. Like we're not doing something to save ourselves. The word which can save us is planted in us, he says in verse 21. But James does say that a faith that doesn't have any evidence of that faith doesn't really exist. And, and uh, he didn't make this up, though. Jesus actually said it first at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus has preached the longest recorded sermon that we have in Scripture uh, in Matthew chapter 7. And he gets to the end, and he's been telling his disciples and uh, anyone who's listening in this huge crowd, he said, you know, different ways to live and, and really uh, taught a lot about what the Christian life will look like. If you look back and you have a red-letter Bible, we're talking about a really long sermon here. Um, but he gets to the end, and what he says is he says this in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And, uh, you know... James is not inventing this concept. Jesus said it first, and he said it here. What, he, what he's saying is that a life full of things that are good on the outside, but with a weak foundation, a foundation in sand, it is a waste. It's a total waste. And uh, we live in Oklahoma. We should know about a good foundation. We've got earthquakes and settling and your house will crack and all these things. And so when you build a house, they want to drill down and hit the bedrock with the piers first so you don't have to get your piers later and do all this stuff. And, and we kind of understand the value of a good foundation. We don't want a house built on sand. We don't want a house that's going to crumble. But essentially, when we hear God's word but don't act on it, that we don't obey it, we don't actually live it out, we just listen to it, that's what we're doing. Uh, we're because willingness or agreement with God's word is not the same as obedience to God's word. And when we sit here, and you can listen to, you could have listened to Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about the Beatitudes, and he's talking about how hate is, is the same as murder, and lust is the same as adultery, and he's talking about these things. You could sit there and you could say, yes, Jesus, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Great sermon. Thank you very much. And then he gets to the end and he says, if you, you know, you can agree with me, and that's great, but if you don't actually do put these words of mine into practice. You're just like the guy who built his house on the sand. You're not actually 
living out what I've done. And I think so many times in our Christian culture, especially in the middle of Oklahoma where people think it's a really good thing to go to church and a really good thing to be a Christian, it's so easy for us to sit there and say, I agree with what you're saying, and I am willing to do those things, Lord. Uh, But the fact of the matter is that it becomes a lot harder for us to actually live those things out. And uh, one of my favorite authors is David Platt. I'm going to paraphrase one of his quotes, but he says, don't be willing to obey the word. Actually obey God's word. Don't just be willing to help the poor. Actually help the poor. Don't be willing to share the gospel. Share the gospel. And don't be willing to live in purity, but live in purity. You see, I think it's easy for us to sit here and say, like, God, whenever you open that door for me to share the gospel with my coworker, I will do it. And and I don't want to tell you to not pray for God to open doors, because God will open doors for you to do those things. But I think at some point we have worked with people long enough to where we have just simply neglected the opportunities that God has given us, or we have had these neighbors long enough and we haven't tried to invest in them or share the truth of the gospel in them. And no believer is exempt from any of these things. We're not exempt from... God has commanded us to share the gospel. God has commanded us to love and care for the poor. God has commanded us to live in purity and to obey his word. And so I think for us to say, uh, to stop at willingness is really sin. It's what Jesus is talking about here at the end of, of, verse, uh, end of chapter 7. He's saying that that's just foolishness. You're building your house on the sand if, if you're stopping at willingness and not following through with obedience. And that's, and that's where James is taking us here in this passage. Is he's saying that don't just be a hearer of God's word, actually be a doer of God's word. Don't deceive yourself like that. And I don't know necessarily what God might be calling you to specifically today, but I know that I have things, and we probably all have things in our lives that we can think about that we say, like, this is a commandment in Scripture that I've maybe been neglecting. And that's uh, kind of a hard truth for me to deal with, at least. Um, but, but it's really true. And we'll see things, like James tells us here in verse 26 and 27, he says, keep a tight rein on your tongue, help the orphaned, and help the widow. That's what he says. And no one is going to tell you, like, don't do those things. Those are great things to do. And people who aren't Christians are going to do those things really, really well. But the difference between why we do those things and why other people do them is our motivation for that action. And, so, and that's where uh, James chapter 2 and this faith without works being dead thing really comes into play. Is because James is saying the reason that we do things is because of the way that our lives have been changed by the truth of the gospel. And so that's what makes Christianity, that's what makes following Christ different from just being a good person because we are motivated by the truth of the gospel. When we really believe that we were so sinful that we could do nothing to have relationship with God and that God sent Jesus his son to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could have eternal life with him. When we really believe that God has loved us so much to save us while we were helpless, while we could do nothing to save ourselves, that a true belief in that will evoke action in us. A true belief in that when we really say, yes, I could do nothing to help myself, and God came and he saved me, that is when our lives and the way that we live them start to actually look differently, when we stop being hearers of the word and actually begin to start being doers of the word, because uh, that, that's when we come and, and we start to live out 
verse 27, and it says that we uh, look after the orphan and the widow in their distress. When we start to care for the marginalized people in our society, in our community, we do it because we're living out exactly what God has done for us, right? Because uh, the orphan and the widow in James's day would have been totally helpless. It, it would have, you know, a widow would not have been able to work, and, and an orphan would have had no one to care for them living on the street. And uh, James is saying, look after those people in their distress, in their helplessness. And when we recognize the fact that uh, in the gospel, we were helpless before God came and saved us, that's when it becomes much easier for us to actually live out these commandments. And we do them out of a response uh, for God's love, not out of obligation, not to make God love us anymore, but like James says in chapter 2, that these works are a result of our faith. They, are, they, are not, they don't make our faith, but they are a result of our belief in God and, and faith in Christ. And so, and so we get to uh, verse 27, and we, and we see religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless to look at is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so the big question that I think that I have for you and myself today is what is keeping us, what is that pollution from the world that is keeping us from living out an appropriate response to the gospel? Uh, because we all have some sort of contamination or pollution that, ha- that has gotten into our lives, that we believe the lies of the world, that's, that that gold or that honey uh, is more important than what God has actually commanded us to do. And maybe that's uh, the pursuit of things that make you happy. Maybe that's status or power or money. I mean, the world can lie to you in a lot of ways, and it lies to me in a lot of ways about what is worthwhile, what we should be spending our time on instead of obedience to the Scriptures. But I, I, the reality of the fact is that when we approach God, God's Word with humility, when we receive it humbly, and then we commit to remembering it, it makes it easy for us to obey it and to have an appropriate obedience that is a response to God's love for us. That's not out of obligation. That's not just something we should do, but it's something that we do because God has loved us so much. It would radically change the way that I would live my life, and and I think that the way that our church would look and act as a whole, because we would be people who could come and we could hear and we could learn from Acts, and that we would be motivated to live that way, that we would be motivated to have our community changed as a result of what God has done in our own lives, that we wouldn't just be willing to sit on it anymore, but that we would believe it enough to be able to live it out in a way that's real and that's impactful and sacrificial, probably difficult, like we've seen the believers at the beginning in Acts have, but that it would definitely be worth it. So let's pray. Father, thanks for the opportunity just to look at your word. Uh, I, I want to just take a little time now for us to think in our own hearts about uh, what it is that you're calling us to do, Lord. We see uh, clear calls in scripture to be obedient to serving the poor, to sharing the gospel, living in purity, and obedience to your word. Lord, we see a clear call to, to, to be passionate about the things that you're passionate about, and to spend our time on the things that you call us to spend time on. Not just the things that the world tells us are important, Lord, but to sacrificially live in a way that we can honor you with our lives. And uh, so just take a moment in your own heart and think about what it is 
uh, that has that has been polluting you? What lie of the world you have believed uh, that is more important for you to spend your time on than obedience to God's word? Father, we just want to thank you for uh, the opportunity to look at your word today, and we and we want to repent of the sin in our own lives. Lord, I know that I have sin in my life that is keeping me from being obedient to what you've called me to be. And Lord, I ask that you would just take that away from us and that you would help us to be obedient to your truth, Lord, that you'd help us to humbly receive your word and put away our own opinions, but receive what you're calling us to, Lord. That we would commit it to memory so it would permeate the way that we live and the way that we act. And Lord, that we would be obedient to what you're calling us to today.